1 Corinthians chapter number 15 is where we're going to look for just a little while with the help of the Lord. I don't really have a, a real elaborate, uh, laid out message. It may be sort of a morgasport, I guess you could say. Uh, there's a lot of things I want to cover that the Lord's placed on our heart for this hour. And I don't, again, I don't know everybody's need that's in the building today, but God does. And again, we're certainly glad that you're here already. And again, I hope you've already been made to feel at home. And again, I appreciate our choir singing. I love that last song. There's some man, I'm glad I got lost so I could be found. And uh, you know, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now that's Luke 19, verse number 10, and that's exactly right. And I want you to know, uh, listen, if you're here today and you don't have a church home, we'd love to invite you here at Faith. But you know, your greatest need is to trust Christ as Savior, period. I mean, that is your greatest need. There is a real heaven and there is a real hell, and it all depends on what you do with Jesus. And one of my responsibilities as a pastor uh, and as, as a Christian is to try to point others to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no saving capability in me, I can assure you that, but I'm glad the Lord can save whosoever will. The Bible still said in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But God has centered my heart on the gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, the gospel message. Most of us have heard that being here in the Bible Belt of America, of course, you, most, many of you may grew up in church. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you're not familiar with the gospel message. And I'm not going to take for granted that everybody just knows there's a lot of things maybe seem elementary to you today that God's touched my heart about. But I just want to share the truth of God's Word. Uh, you know, it's one thing to reject Christ. It's another thing to not know of the plan of salvation, what God expects uh, from his people and from his creation. But I want to give some clarity on that subject this morning with the help of the Lord out of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And if you found your place, if you're able to, if you would, stand with us in reverence uh, to the reading of God's word. You're not standing to reverence me, but we are standing to reverence God's holy, uh, inspired word of God. And this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, notice with me, of course we refer to this as a resurrection chapter of the Bible, many of you that know the scripture, you'd say, man, he's going to preach on the resurrection. Not necessarily, but just get this. Of course, the resurrection is a part of the gospel message. Well, notice in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 1, the Bible said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now let's pray. Father, as I bow God in your presence, Lord, again this morning, Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you again for the opportunity, Lord, just to assemble in your house. God, I thank you for the folks that are here today. Thank you for our regular folks. We thank you, Lord, for our visitors today. Lord, it's been a good day already, and I ask God that you touch your word. Lord, I know that uh, you exalted above your own name. Lord, would you help this feeble preacher now? Lord, I confess publicly that I'm nothing. I'm a big fat zero, but Lord, you are everything. I pray that you would have the preeminence as we move forward. If you don't help us today, Lord, it'll be all in vain. I pray for that one. They may have walked in here today or listening by way of the live stream or the Facebook or the CD ministry or even the telephone. Maybe unsaved, unprepared for eternity. God, may today, may this very hour be the hour that they receive Christ as Savior. I pray, Lord, now that you'd remove every hindrance, every distraction from this place. Pray that all the will of God be done. We'll be careful to give you thanks and give you praise for what you do. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people see it. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated this morning. We've read here out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as I've already said. If you want to know something about the resurrection, you read on a little bit later. This is referred to as a resurrection chapter of the Bible. Now, in this church in Corinth, Corinth had a lot of issues. They had a lot of divisions, even some schisms going on, according to the Word of God. So there's a lot of problems in the church in Corinth. And the Apostle Paul was the human instrument that God used to pin down this letter. But there was a supernatural agent, being the Holy Spirit of God. And the church in Corinth needed some instruction. I'll say it's still up to date today. In 2023, God has an applicable message for me and for you and for the whole world. As we look at this, because in these verses that I've read specifically in verse number 3 and verse number 4, Paul talks about his past experience of receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, receiving the gospel. And some of might say, when a preacher, how do you explain the gospel? What is the gospel? 
gospel. Well, listen, you don't have to take my word for it, but you better take God's word for it. For in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 3, he said, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. The gospel is based upon, it's built upon the death of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. You just heard our choir sing about the blood of Jesus. Preacher, why Why do you sing about the blood? Well, without the blood, there's no remission of our sins. There, there's no forgiveness of our sins. There's no peace with God apart from that sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the best way that you and I can explain that and, and understand it is our sin is one of two places. It's on us or it's on Christ. If it's on us and we've never received Christ as Savior, and, and by the way, you say, preacher, how in the world does, does the sin debt get on me? All you had to do was be born. Listen, Romans chapter number 3 and verse number 10 said, there's none righteous, no, not one. God didn't make an exception for me, didn't make an exception for you. Now listen, I'm not preaching down to anybody. I'm the least among you, the ground's level at the foot of the cross, but you've got to understand this. Romans 3, 23 said, for all, you know what all means in Greek? It means everybody. It means all of us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But listen, Romans 6, 23 said, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All we had to do to inherit that sin debt was be born. So at the moment we're born, there's a debt that must be paid. And if you never receive Christ, you will pay the judgment. You will pay the condemnation and the punishment that awaits those apart from Christ. But here's the good news. Because Jesus hung between heaven and earth, he died according to the scriptures. You can go back to the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels, and the accounts of the crucifixion of Christ. He marched up Calvary's cross and he hung there, not for his sin, because he was perfect. He was without blemish. He was without spot. But he hung between heaven and earth, taking my place, taking your place in the theological circles. It's called a vicarious death. You say, man, what in the world is that? It just simply means that he he became our substitute. We had that great sin dead upon us, and it was on us. But thank God Jesus didn't take part of it. He didn't take some of it, friend. He took it all by the sacrifice of himself. Now when a person understands that they're a sinner, the choir just sang about, I'm glad I got lost so I could be found. Once you realize, man, that debt's on me, but you understand it don't have to be on you. It can be placed on Christ at the moment that you receive in it salvation. There there's a transfer, man. That sin debt goes off of you. It's on Christ, and thank God it's forever settled and ever paid for. That's why he died, according to the Scripture, but it's based upon the blood of Christ. But that's not the end of the story. Notice as you read on in verse 4, and that he was buried. Now, you go back in the Word of God, you'll see that he was placed in the tomb of Arimathea, according to the word of God, he was a very rich man, a new tomb where never yet had man laid. And Jesus was placed in that tomb, and, and the stone was placed upon the door. The soldiers marked it probably with wax to make sure that it was sure, according to Pilate and the Roman soldiers. Well, he was buried. But then, three days later, can you imagine for just a minute... Uh, the, all, all the forces of hell probably were excited, man, here, here's the Son of God, here's the Redeemer of the world, the Redeemer of the universe, and the devil said, man, I finally got him. He's dead, and he's there for three days. He might have checked the first day, the second day, man, he was still dead, but the third day, very early in the morning, according to Luke chapter number 24, those women came under the sepulcher, and you know what they found? They found that stone had been rolled away. It's still worth hitting again. That stone wasn't rolled away so he could get out. That stone was rolled away so you and I can get in. Thank God he provided access. He made a way that you and I could be forgiven of our sin. He died. He was buried. But he rose again the third day. Notice the last part of verse number four. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. We could say in this passage there's an explanation of the gospel. What is the gospel? It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from that, Brian has zero hope of going to heaven. Apart from that, friend, you have zero hope of going to heaven. Some of them might say, well, wait a minute, preacher. I've been taught my whole life I'm good to my neighbor. If my good outweighs my bad, God let me in. Well, listen, you've been deceived. You've been lied to. 
There's only one way. There's some absolutes in the Word of God. It's sort of like math. One plus one is going to be two. You cannot change that absolute truth. Two plus two is always going to be four. You, you can't, that's what we call an absolute. Well, there's some absolutes in the Bible. Jesus said in John 14, 6, He said, I'm the way. Not just a way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What did Jesus say? Matthew 7, verse number 13. He said, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in there because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. It's an absolute necessity. It's an absolute that you go through and by the Lord Jesus Christ. The early church was preaching this message in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12. Neither is there salvation in any other for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You see that must that absolute, what Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse number 7, he said, ye must, there's an absolute, ye must be born again. You see your good deeds, your good works, your, your, your good outweighing your bad, that's not what's going to get you. To, it's based upon the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's explained. But can I tell you this? The gospel is expected. What do you mean it's expected? It's expected from the man of God. It's expected from the Sunday school teacher. It's expected from the preacher, from the pastor, from the evangelist. It's expected that the gospel is presented and the gospel is preached. If you hang around here long, you'll find on our website this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 16. That's one thing I said, listen, I want that on the website. Sometimes you'll see it on some of the banners that are here. You say, why is that important? Well, listen to it verbatim from the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 9, 16 For though I preach the gospel I have nothing to glory of For necessity is laid upon me Yea, woe is unto me If I preach not the gospel If we don't preach Brother Kevin, the death And the burial And the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ Woe is unto me Woe is unto the Sunday school teacher That wants to talk about something else And there's a lot of things in the Bible to cover I get that But boy, you better keep the main thing The main thing why? It's explained in the scripture to death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. But it's expected from the child of God. It's expected from the man of God. It's expected from the ministry of the church. When's the last time? Listen, I don't know where everybody's from, but when's the last time your preacher hopped up and preached on the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? When's the last time he preached on heaven? When's the last time he preached on hell? If you say, man, I've never heard a message like that, you might want to consider getting out there. Yeah, man. <laughs> you say, man, I didn't come to hear all that. Well, I didn't, I didn't really know I was going to say that, but there it was. You think about it. It's expected, the gospel message. That, Woe is unto me. Necessity. There's an expectation. So it's explained. There's an expectation. We get that, but there's the essentialness. The gospel is essential. Why is it essential? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 3 said, But if our gospel be hid, what is the gospel? That's the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid unto them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. There's the, why is the gospel essential? Because there's lost people in this world, and I don't know your standing. Again, I'm not, there was a time in my life when I was lost without God. I grew up in church at 13 years old for the first time in my life. I realized I was lost. I came under early Holy Ghost conviction. I didn't know what conviction was at the time. Best way I can explain that is this. I knew I wasn't right with God, and for the first time in my life, I realized, Brother Kevin, if I didn't get saved, I was going to close my eyes, and I I was going to end up in a place called hell. God showed me that. Oh, but thank God that was a Wednesday night. I didn't get saved on Wednesday. But Brother Randy, on that Thursday, oh, that evening, I, I couldn't stand it anymore. I mean, the Holy Ghost is on me. The preacher, as a leather lung Baptist preacher, just stood and, and, and shot at gun barrel straight, didn't water it down, didn't pull out a sugar stick, but just told me this is what God said. And I knew that I could be saved. I knew that my sins could be forgiven. And I called on the name of the Lord, Brother Tony, and God saved my unworthy dying soul. But if he had hid that gospel, it would have been hid to me that was lost. If I had the gospel, you have zero chance of getting saved. 
How are they going to hear without the remedy? How are you going to hear without the antidote? How are you going to hear without the answer unless the prescription is laid out there? Well, listen, our salvation, again, it's not based upon good deeds, good works, or our righteousness, because it would never be enough, according to Isaiah 64 and verse number 6. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. What does that mean in Yadkin County, English preacher? It means on the best day that we got, we still fall short of God's glory. Fall short of it. We miss that mark. But boy, God made a way. And there's the essentialness. That's why we've got to always promote and practice and present the gospel message. Well, it's explained as the death. All this is introduction, by we'll get to them. I'll be in Numbers 21 eventually. But I didn't even share that with you. But just get this. We think about, we think about the gospel. It's explained as the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Christ Jesus. It's expected from us. What was it to me if I preached out the gospel? And then the, essential, the essentials of the gospel is if we hide it, it's hid to them that are lost, that are on that broad road that leads to destruction. And it's up to us, man. The government's not going to do it. The world's not going to do it. It's up to the children of God to be that witness. You know, even Mark's gospel, chapter 16, verse number 15, said, Preach the gospel to every creature. There's a lot of creatures in this world, Brother Wayne. I mean, these people don't look like us. They don't talk like us. They don't smell like us. They don't dress like us. But here's the bottom line. That's a soul that needs Jesus. And it's our responsibility to present the gospel to whosoever will. So you see the gospel is explained. You can see that the gospel is expected. It is essential. But you know what? The gospel is exciting. Do you know that? It's exciting. Man, it ought to excite. You say, preacher, I've been saved 40 years. Listen, what I'm preaching on ought to excite you. It ought not be a bore. It ought not be blase. And it ought not be a drag, man. Because our, our, our eternal destination in heaven is based upon what I'm preaching this morning. And it's an exciting thing when it comes to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You go to Romans 1 and three times Paul said, I am so. The first of all, he said, I am debtor. Then he said, I'm ready to preach the gospel there in Rome. But then in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16, listen now. He said, for I am not ashamed. And we ought not be ashamed. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now, there's a four-point message in that right there, Brother Kevin. There's the origin of the gospel. You know, it's not my gospel. It's not your gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's where it originates. You know, in that verse, there's also the operation of the gospel. He said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There's the origin. For it is the power of God. There's the operation that God works through. That's how he saves whosoever will based on that death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you got the origin, you've got the operation, but then you've got the outcome of the gospel. He said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That is the outcome of the gospel message. Putting it down, breaking it down in Yakin County, English, when that under, and that sinner understands that Jesus died for them, that he was buried, that he rose again. They understand that they can have life in Christ. They turn from their sin to the faith, Savior by faith. They call on the name of the Lord. The outcome is they've been saved. That word salvation in the original simply means to be delivered. Think about somebody sitting in a prison house. You say, Preacher, I've never been in prison. Listen, friend, if you've never been saved, you're in sin's prison today. But I'm glad those shackles can come off. Those chains can come off. Thank God he can sign that pardon and open that door and set you free. Boy, there's the outcome. You see that the origin is of Christ. The operation is the power of God unto salvation. There is the outcome. And then the outreach to who? To, he goes on, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. Everyone that believeth. Doesn't matter if you're red, yellow, black, and white. Doesn't matter your social standing. Doesn't matter if you're a man, you're a woman. It makes no difference whether you're young, whether you're old. I'm glad, thank God, that you can be set free from sin. It's universal to whosoever will. So you look at this. Think about the gospel. What is the gospel? It's explained in the Word of God. That it's the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is expected. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 9, 16, What was unto me if I preach not the gospel? It's essential because if we don't share the gospel, if we don't present the gospel, we support missions, we present the gospel here from the church, we hand out gospel tracts, you may go knock on some doors, and we present that message of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is expected. It is essential because if we don't, 
It's hid under them that are lost. But it's exciting, man, that whosoever can be saved. Now, all that sort of introduction, and this will still be too. Again, I'm going to Numbers 21 eventually. But evidence, you know, you think about this. A lot of folks say, well, you know, if, if, if I, and I've had this many, many times, Brother Evan. Folks say, well, you know, if, if I could just see it, then I'd believe it. Well, listen, the Bible said we're to walk by faith and not by sight. You walking by sight, then you're not demonstrating any faith whatsoever. And this is not a, there, there's a difference in faith and foolishness. And it does not take a rocket scientist to, or you don't have to have the PhD to realize that there's a God in heaven. I mean, this crowd says, these atheists, and listen, the Bible said the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, I didn't call him a fool, but God did. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It takes a foolish individual. It takes a ignoramus. It takes a, uh, in the Greek is moros, which we get the word moron from. It takes a moron to, to, to disbelieve that there's a God in heaven. Right. You get something in your eye. Brother Dylan's talking about a while ago. He said, man, I think I got some fiberglass in my eye. But you know, it's interesting. God has made us, and the psalmist said we're fearfully and we're wonderfully made. You get something in that eye almost instantaneously, unless you've got one of those ducks that gets blocked up, you know, your eye will start watering. Instantly washing that thing out. Why is that? Because we're fearfully and we're wonderfully made. Think about creation. In Psalm 19, verse number 1, the Bible said the heavens declare the glory of God. I was Heading down 67 this morning, right after that rain last night, you know, the sun was coming up and a little bit of fog and, and, and rain was just dripping off the trees and that sun was coming up. That's just part, that's just God. It's just God. Here this after last night, of course, the lightning, you're going home, you see the lightning. Maybe at night you see those stars in the, in the sky, you see the, the moon and think about the sun. Listen, we're close enough to the sun that we don't freeze to death, yet we're just far enough away we don't burn up. Now, how is that possible? God made a way. You go down to the ocean, you see those waves crash. You know, I understand some certain circumstances come with a tidal wave, earthquake, and that changed it. But you watch those waves come in, there's a boundary, and then they go back out. Who do you think puts those boundaries according to the Word of God is God. Amen. What I'm saying is you don't have to look far to see that there's creator. If you ever witness a birth, man, it doesn't even have to be a human birth. You can look at a, a cow or a horse or a dog, a cat, whatever, but especially a human life. As it is born, man, it takes an ignoramus to disbelieve that there's a God in heaven. The Bible even said in Romans chapter number 1, get this. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 20, and I do not want to misquote this, so I'm going to read it. Listen now. Romans 1 and verse number 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now you think about that. Just in creation, there's evidence that there's God. Many of you may squirrel hunt or whatever. You may go out and, and you don't even have to squirrel hunt. You can actually around your house. We've got these little, these little birds, Brother Wayne, right above the gutter. Every year you can count on it. I know you can put fake snakes up, but I can't do that because I'm scared of them, man. Even, if, even though I know they're real, they're going to fall down, and I'm going to walk out there, and I'm going to jump. They say white men can't jump. That's a lie, man. You, you just see a snake around me, and I'm going to be jumping. But you look, and you see, the, you see the nest. You might not ever see the bird. But the evidence is there that, hey, there's a bird because he's, look, look at what he's built. There's a God, man. There's only one, by the way. There's not multiple gods. There's one true and living God. Everything else is those little G gods. But thank God we serve the capital G-O-D in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can't deny it with creation. Now think about this. There's evidence in creation just by the things that are seen. But there's also evidence in the canon of Scripture. You say, what is the canon of Scripture? Well, there's 66 books. In the Bible, there's 39 in the Old Testament, but there's 27 in the New. And through that, there's evidence, and it all points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's some time ago, I don't know that we ever really finished, but we were going through. Now I'm hung on David, can't get off of him. But we were preaching on some snapshots from the, <clears throat> excuse me, from the cross. And those snapshots, 
You can go to the Old Testament and you see a picture of Christ by way of application. Well, think about this. I believe on every page of the Word of God, there is a reference and there's a picture of the Lord Jesus. For example, there's evidence, Brother Tony. You can go to the book of Genesis. and I'm not going to elaborate right here, but I'm just going to hit this real quickly. In the book of Genesis, we see Jesus as a seed of the woman. In the book of Exodus, he is seen as the lamb for sinners slain. In the book of Leviticus, he is the high priest. In the book of, of Numbers, he is the brazen serpent in Deuteronomy. He's the great rock. You go on into Joshua, he's seen as a captain of the Lord's host. In the book of Judges, he's seen as deliverer. In Ruth, he is the Lord Jesus is seen as a kinsman redeemer. First Samuel, he is seen as a great judge. Second Samuel, he's a princely king. In First Kings, Jesus is seen in David's choice. In chapter number one of First Kings, when David put Solomon on that mule and rode him into town, presenting him as king, that was a picture of the Lord Jesus coming in on Palm Sunday presenting himself as king during his day. Second Kings, he's referred to as the holiest of all. First Chronicles, Jesus is king by birth. Second Chronicles, he's king by judgment. In Ezra, he's lord of heaven and earth. Nehemiah, he's seen as a builder. Uh, over there in the book of Esther, he's the overseer of God's people. In Job, he's our risen and returning savior. Psalms, he can be referred to many things, but I choose as the good shepherd. Proverbs, he is wisdom. Ecclesiastes, he's one above the sun. Song of Solomon, he's one altogether lovely and the cheapest among 10,000. Isaiah, he's a suffering servant. Jeremiah, he's a potter. Hey, Lamentations, he's a man of sorrows. Going to Ezekiel, he's a glorious God. Daniel, he is the smiting stone. Hosea, he's a risen son of God. You think about a little bit further, Joel, he's the outpour of the Spirit. Amos, he's the eternal Christ. Obadiah, he's the forgiving Christ. Can I just give a time out right there? Who would we be without the forgiveness? of Christ Jesus. Thank God He didn't forgive part of my sin or some of my sin or my big sin or my little sin. Thank God He forgave it all. You can go on down uh, into uh, Obadiah. He is the forgiving Christ. We get that. Uh, we go on down to Jonah. He is the risen prophet. Micah, he's the Bethlehemite. Nahum, he's the bringer of good tidings. Habakkuk, he's the Lord in His holy temple. Zephaniah, he's a merciful Christ. Haggai, he's the desire of all nations. Zephaniah, Zechariah, he's a branch. Malachi, he's the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. That's 39 times of evidence in the canon of Scripture in the Old Testament that points to none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, listen, we ain't done. There's 27 books in the New Testament. In Matthew, he's seen as king of the Jews. Mark, he's seen as a servant. Luke, he's the perfect son of man. John, he's the perfect son of God. Acts, he's the ascended Lord. But you better remember those two men that stood by on those guys and hillsides as Jesus ascended they stood around and said why stand ye gazing up into heaven for this same Jesus which you've seen taken up and ye into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go boy the Acts is a picture of the church the day of Pentecost but I call it the ascended Lord and you can see Jesus right there you go a little bit further in the book of Romans he's seen as the Lord our righteousness again I'm not based on my righteousness getting to heaven because that won't get it done that won't cut it you won't go based on your righteousness but God made a way presenting access for you and I to get into the holiest of holies through a personal relationship with the king of kings and the lord of lords you can go to 1 Corinthians he's seen as our resurrection 2 Corinthians he's seen as our comforter in the book of Galatians he's seen as the end of the law Ephesians he's head of the church now listen brother Tony hey, some folks say man the church is going down I'm here to tell you this morning on the authority of the word of God it's an impossibility for the church church to go down because our head is seated in the heavenly. So he's the head of the church. In Philippians, he's the supplier of our need. Every child of God here ought to say, yeah, you're right, preacher. I went through some struggles. I went through some troubles. But you'll have to go and you'll have to agree like David did. He said, I've been young and am now old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Philippians 4, 19 said, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. In Philippians, he's seen as the supplier of all. Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead. 
First Thessalonians, he's seen coming for his church. Second Thessalonians, he's coming with his church. First Timothy, he's seen as mediator. We ought to thank God that we got a mediator. We've got an advocate. we got a high priest with the Father. The reason that you and I can pray is because he's at the right hand of the Father, according to the Word of God, a position of promise, a position of power. And there he is making intercession, mediating on our behalf. That's why it said in First Timothy, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Second Timothy he's seen as the bestower of gifts. Titus he's seen as our great God and Savior. Philemon, that little book in the New Testament, he's seen as the payer of our debt. You go on to the book of Hebrews he's seen as the great shepherd. James, he's the Lord drawing nigh. First Peter, he's the chief shepherd. Second Peter, he's the Lord of glory. Then you get to first John, what is he preaching? Well, he's the way. Second John, he's the truth. Third John, he's alive. You go to the book of Jude. Thank God he's our security, able to keep us from falling. I, I like to present this sometimes. A lot of folks say, man, I'm just struggling in the Christian life. I'm trying to hold on to Jesus. Why don't you quit? He, you ain't holding on to him. Friend, he's a holding on to you. I preached a message some time ago on God's grip won't slip or don't slip. That ain't good English, but that's exactly right. God's grip don't slip. And the book of Jude presents Christ as the one that is able to keep us from falling. Well, you get to the last book. 27 books in the New Testament, last book of the book of Revelation. You say, well, man, who in the world is the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he's a candlestick holder. He's Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He's the Lamb of God. He's a bright morning star. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But listen, he's King of kings and he's Lord of lords. And all that is evidence. You say, preacher, I need some evidence. Just look at creation. Look at the power of the sun. Look at the power of the moon. Look how you're created. You get cut. You start clodding. You get something in your eye. It starts to water. There's evidence. It's crystal clear that Jesus is real through creation, through the canon of Scripture. You know, you just go through 66 books. And you look, there's evidence there that points to the Lord Jesus Christ. But think about this evidence. I'm about done with introduction. We'll get on the message here in just a second. You see, the children of God, Matthew 7, verse number 16. Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruits. There's evidence of God's child. You know what? I'm not what I used to. Listen, and I'm not, I'm not, I surely ain't tooting my horn. I'm a big old nothing. I, I'm not what I used to be. <laughs> because the Lord Jesus has changed my life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things pass away. Behold, all things are become new. The evidence, look at creation. Look at the canon of Scripture that all points to Christ. Look at the children of God. I mean, there's folks in here that used to be drunkards. There's folks in here that used to be addicts. There's folks in here that used to be womanizers. There's folks in here that used to be adulterous folks. Now, listen, because of the change that the Lord Jesus Christ has made in their life, there is fruit, and you cannot deny it took God, and God showed up and changed lives. Now, we think about this. We see what the gospel is. You see the evidence, but you know, a lot of folks say, well, you know, preacher, I hear about, I, 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 you know, I just choose to believe a certain way. But there, there's three fundamental questions you better be able to answer before you leave planet Earth. You say, what are they? Well, number one, where did you come from? You know that? Why are you here? And where are you going? The Bible gives us the answer to all three of those. And maybe you've been debating that. Maybe you're wondering, you know, I'm just sort of sputtering through life. And, you know, I, I get up and I go to work. I got a family. But, you know, I just don't really see much meaning to life. Well, listen, you hang with me right here just a second. Where do we come from? Now, again, I go back to that Greek word moros, which we get our English word moron from. And some of these PhDs have gotten say, well, billions and billions and billions of years ago, uh, there's a little amoeba tadpole in a, in a mud hole and, all of a sudden, over a billion years, they crawled out and grew a tail. And, and well, here we are. I mean, it, honestly, it's ridiculous. That's right. The Big Bang Theory, I mean, millions and billions and billions, it's nothing became something. It takes more faith to believe in that garbage than to believe in the beginning that God said in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Right. Doesn't take much. But where do we come from? Well, the Bible tells Genesis 1 and verse number 26, and God said, let us. That's plural, by the way. That's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Then you go to Genesis chapter number 2 and verse number 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathing into his nostrils breath of life. Man became a living soul. Next time you see somebody boasting, bragging about their self, say, buddy, you ain't got nothing to boast about. You can trace your ancestry back to dirt. 
Amen. We all can. We ain't got nothing to boast about. Our Lord, you go pick you up a hand of dirt, man. That's where we come from. Without Christ, we can do absolutely nothing. Where did I come from? Where did you come from? We were made in the image and the likeness of Almighty God. All right, why am I here? Well, number one, if you're not saved, this God's desire to save you. And he's provided a way based on the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's essential for me, and it's expected to me. Woe is unto me if I preached off the gospel. And if you're lost, it's hid if we don't present it to you. There's excitement. You can be released from your sin today. But you've got to recognize, man, you need Jesus. So where'd you come from? God made you. We were made from the dust of the ground. Why are you here? Number one, to be saved. But after we get saved, God won't us to make a difference. Now, I make you a 200% guarantee right now. There's not a one of us in here right now that's not making a difference. I want to say that again. Not a one of us in here that is not making. All of us are making a difference. You might be making a positive difference. You might be making a negative difference. But rest assured, we're all making a difference. Jesus said, Matthew 5, verse 13, he said, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is sent forth good for nothing, but he cast out and be trodden under foot of men. You're the lie of the world, to see that it set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither the men light a candle, but on a candlestick. Put it on a candlestick, and we understand that. He said, let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God said that we're to be the salt of the earth. God said we're to be the light of the world. And we could say that salt is influential. Sure is. You say, I just don't believe. Well, you try eating some greens without some salt on it. Amen. And some fat back grease. You better have both. You got French fries. You say, man, it's sort of bland. You can put salt on it, man. You know, it'll, 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 it influences things. Well, we're to influence this world. And by the way, you eat a bunch of country ham like this morning or something. You eat two or three pieces of ham. It ain't going to be long. You're going to be finding the tea jug or the water jug. You're going to be something because it's going to make you thirsty. And we as God's people ought to make this world thirst at the things of God. He said we're the salt of the earth, but then we're the light of the world. What's the alternative? Darkness. You say, preacher, this world looks awful dark. But I'm glad, thank God. For that crowd that's been born again, that's been saved, that's been pulled out of darkness, been pulled out of that old miry clay. God set you foot upon a rock and He's placed you here. Why am I here? To make a difference, a positive difference in this lost and dying world. Where did I come from? We were made in the image of God, came from the dust of the ground. Why am I here? We're here to be the salt. We're here to be light. We could go to Romans 12 to present our bodies a living sacrifice, but I'm going to move on. Where am I going, preacher? Well, here it is. Where am I going? There's, you know, there's, there's decisions we've got to make. Today, you'll either say yes or you'll say no. You won't make three decisions. You'll make one or the other. You'll say yes, you'll say no. There's a direction. You're either going to go up or you're going to go down. There's a destination. Yes, there's a heaven to gain, but yes, there's a hell to shine. You know, I think about Revelation 20 and verse number 14 and 15. The Bible said, In death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever is not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. The first song we sang as a congregation was, I know my name is there. Name is where? In that book. How do you get in that book, preacher? By responding to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a hell, but there's also a heaven. Jesus said this while we're going to flip with me to Numbers 21. While you're turning, I'll give you this John 14. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me in my Father's house. Or many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. How do you know heaven's going to be there? Well, how do you know there's going to be mansions over there? Well, if it were not so, he would have told us Jesus was the Lamb of God. He was without blemish. He was without spot. If there was no heaven, if there was no mansions, he would have told us. But he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, don't you miss that either. Nobody's ever accidentally stumbled in. You'll not get there on the coattail of, of mom or daddy or grandma or grandpa or even your children Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. He's gone to prepare that place for us. And he's going to come again. He's going to receive us unto himself one of these days. Well, what makes the difference? Where did I come from? We were made in the image of God. Why am I here? We're to be salt. We're to be light of the world. to make a positive difference. Number one, we're to be saved. Where am I going? That depends on if you know Christ Jesus or not. There's a heaven to gain. There's a hell to shun. You say yes to Jesus. Thank God you're going up. you'll, You'll go to a place called heaven one day. But if you say no to the Lord Jesus, and you know what? The devil will never tell you don't get saved. He won't, he won't never tell you don't get saved. He'll just say don't get saved today. Oh, you can get right one day. No, that's what the devil will do. God says, believe the gospel today. There was the account of the Old Testament. We call this a snapshot of the Lord Jesus. 
Numbers 21. The people of God have been in the wilderness. I want you to notice here, and I will be very brief right here. Watch this. Numbers 21, verse number 4. The Bible said, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore, have you brought us up out, out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loathed this light bread. You see, God had supplied the need over and over again. And they had that manna. And they got to the point, man, where God provided their needs every day, but they still wasn't satisfied. It sounds a lot like us sometimes, don't it? God's people, God supplies that need, and yet we just ain't never satisfied sometimes. We get to complaining and discouraged, and boy, that's what was going on here. Well, notice what God did. God judged them. Look at verse 6, Numbers 21. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. You say, well, no, wait a minute. Why would God do that? Well, God's just. God is holy, and God's decisions are always going to be right. He doesn't, you know, he don't ask for my opinion. <laughs> you know, Brother Tony, I've never had him say, well, you know, Brian, what do you think about this? No, it's not like that. God, God tells us what to do, and, and, and he honors obedience. Well, they're complaining, and not the devil, not the enemies of God, but God himself sent a fiery serpent to judge the people that were complaining. Now, verse 7, the Bible said, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Boy, that's key. They acknowledged their sin. Hey, we've messed up. They understood God was judging them because they were complaining. They were out of the will of God. They weren't obedient. And they came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And I want you to notice what they asked for. They said, Lord, just take them away. Well, God didn't do that because look in verse number 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. God didn't remove the problem. God didn't remove the serpents. But what he did, he, he, put, he put a remedy. He put an antidote. He put an answer in place to address the problem. People would get bit. I mean, it couldn't help people getting bit. But God made a way that they could live. You said, oh, wait a minute, now how does that apply to me? Well, think about this. You say, oh, man, I've never been bit by a serpent. If I got bit by a serpent, you might as well bury me, son. Again, it don't matter if it's green, black, copperhead, right? it makes no difference. I don't like them. It ain't nothing but the devil every time I see them. But understand this, if folks got bit, you say, I've never been bit by a serpent. But we've all been bit by sin. Now, God hadn't taken the problem away. The problem's still here. There's still sin in the world. Well, why did Jesus die on the cross? Why was Jesus buried? Why did Jesus rise again? To give a remedy, to give an answer, to give an antidote, to give a solution to the problem. That's what the gospel is. God made a way. But now watch this. This is important. Look in verse number 9. Here's the key. The Bible said in the last part of verse number 8, It shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, looketh upon what? Upon that brazen serpent. It was made out of brass. He put it on a pole. Now, this is an important part, too. You know, he didn't tell Moses, All right, you, you get your serpent and put it underneath the blanket. Well, that wouldn't do any good, would it? Because the people that are bit are not going to be able to see the remedy. Because it's hidden. The same holds true. Seems like we just heard about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 3. If our gospel be hid, it is hid unto them that are lost. God told Moses, you put that brazen serpent up on the pole, which lets me know it was accessible to everybody. The poor folk, the rich folk, the white folk, the black folk, the Indian, the Hispanic. It makes no difference, friend. It's whosoever will. If they were bent, they could look upon that serpent and they'd live. But they had to look by faith. Look at verse number 9. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, again, for everybody to see. It came to pass that, a person, that, if a, that if a serpent had bitten any person, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Well, preacher, that don't make any sense. You have to take it up with God. That was God's formula. You say, well, I, it ought to be a better way of good outweighing bad. It, it don't matter. That ain't the way God set this thing up. Salvation is based upon the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. God asked us to believe. Somebody said, well, man, how, how in the world can I be saved? Well, 
In Acts chapter 16, verse number 31, that question was asked by the Philippian jailer. In verse number 30, he said, Sirs, he's talking to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And this is what he said, Acts 16, 31, you look it up. He said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It's not difficult, is it, Brother Tom? Simple. It takes childlike faith. But you know what? If you want to live, you've got to look. If you want to live, you've got to look by faith. There's two types of people, Sister Savannah. Well, she's already up there. You can start playing softly. That'll move me along. Two types of people couldn't get help in the days of number. People walking around, getting bit. People are dying, Brother Evan. They cry out to Moses. Moses cries out to God. God didn't leave them defenseless. God gave them away. Made away by that brass that was lifted up. If somebody was bitten, they'd run to that thing and they'd look by faith. They didn't have to work. All they had to do was look by faith. And once they did, they lived. Same holds true for you and I today. Two types of people that couldn't be helped in that day. Those that didn't know, Brother Dennis, that crowd didn't know there's a remedy for getting snake bit, died in that condition. If they didn't know, they died. And then there was another crowd. The other crowd was this. Those that knew there was a remedy, but refused to look by faith. Well, I got bit, but you know, I'm going to try my own thing. I, I'm going to try my own remedy. I'm going to do my own thing. You know what they did? They died in their sin. Because they failed to look by faith. You know what it's going to take for people to be saved in 2023? The same thing it took in Jesus' day. The same thing it took in Paul's day and in Peter's day and John and James' day it's going to take a look of faith but people got to be able to hear what they got to hear they got to hear the death the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ because they're lost and it, we can't hide it from them. we got to put it on a pole man for whosoever because here's the good news some of you may have walked in here today and you say preacher you don't know my background I don't care what your background is it makes no difference you say preacher I got a lot of secret sin I got a lot of hidden sin well just join the crowd a lot of us have at some point or the other but here's what I'm telling you you come by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ he can forgive you of all your sin but is your name written down in the book of life has there been a time when you've called on the name of the Lord and say oh God save me if there's not that's your greatest need. You can't plead ignorance today. You can't say, well, you know, I've never heard the truth because it's my responsibility. Well, what's unto me if I preach not the gospel unto you? Now it's up to you. The ball's in your court. It's a yes or a no answer. Will you receive Christ? You've got to look to him by faith. In that day in Numbers 21, if that crowd didn't know, they couldn't get help. And then if that crowd knew but they refused to look, they died in their sin. And that's what you'll do one day. But it's my responsibility. You know what I found? I used to beat myself up, Brother Kevin, a long time ago. That when I preached the gospel, man, nobody moved. And I thought, man, you know, God, I don't get it. But I, I figured this out. God requires me to do two things. 1 Corinthians 3. I'm to sow seed. I'm to water. But only God can give the increase. My responsibility is not to get anybody saved. My responsibility is to point you to the one that can save. God does the rest. I've done my, to the best of my feeble ability to share with you the gospel. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? It's all based upon Jesus Christ. But the ball is in your court today, and you can be forgiven of all you sin. Psalm 103, verse number 12 said, Far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Micah 7, 19 said, Thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Isaiah chapter 1, verse number 18 said, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What does that mean? Man, you can be forgiven of all your sin based on the gospel. But if you're not saved, boy, you know, we'll never be assembled like we are ever again, like we are right now. There'll never be another August the 27th, 2023, at 10 minutes after 12. There'll never be another time like this. The Bible said today is the day of salvation. Listen, we set up family and friends day. Glad to see everybody praise the Lord. We're going to have some fellowship. We're going to go pig out here in just a minute. But understand. The greatest need that you have at this hour, if you're not saved, I'm going to invite you to come. be my privilege to pray with you. But listen, you need to get saved as we stand all over the house. Let's pray. Father, I sure do love you, and I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to break forth the bread of life. Now, God, I have 
done my absolute best, Lord, to deliver the message of the hour. I pray, God, that you've been honored in it. Pray that Jesus has been high and lifted up. But I pray in the stillness of the moment now. Lord, if there's one here, maybe multiple ones that have never been saved, never made a commitment to Christ. Lord, the decision's in their court. They're either going to say yes or they're going to say no. God, I beg them to draw them to receive Christ. I don't want to see anybody dying or sin and go to hell. Lord, I swear to going apart from Christ. Your word teaches that. Lord, I pray for that one. Maybe hanging on. They haven't got secret sins, hidden sins. I think they've crossed that grace line. Lord, I pray that you'd help them today to come and receive Christ. We'll be careful to give you thanks, give you praise for what you do for us these things in Jesus' name. Hello, friends. This is Brian Poindexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church, located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service, and every second Sunday night of each month we have what's called an eat-and-meet service, after our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today, and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, and good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you're loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16 it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask Him to save you. You might say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? 
But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them. If you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sin. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here, and may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.